and welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. As always, it is Nick Cameron of Glacial Musical, joined by Duncan Evans of Duncan Evans Music, Moonlow, Waxworm, and probably a fourth thing that he hasn't told me about. Ha! <laughs> uh, no, real no. quick, that was uh, bring, bringing us in this week was an instrumental doom metal band out of the Pacific Northwest. That was their 2017 album, When the Tides Prevail by Kenoma. Nice. Yeah, I was going to ask you who that was. I liked that a lot. Very cool. Very I'm going to start announcing it or you could just ask me every week yeah i mean i tend to i tend to ask yeah I'll, I'll try and ask you every week i usually do anyway um so yeah i enjoyed that very uh atmospheric i think doom doom metal's been done a lot and it can be boring when you hear it done in a way that's just sounds like everything else but that wasn't that was that had a really cool vibe to it i liked that that one it and this is going to be blasphemy to even say this but Going back 25 years, when I saw the Foo Fighters for the first time, it was on their very first tour supporting Mike Watt. It was Mike Watt, Foo Fighters, and a band called Hovercraft. Hovercraft, and this is back in the 90s when, you know, you could do things like this. You would never be able to get away with this now. But Hovercraft was Eddie Vedder's wife on guitar, some dude on bass, and Eddie Vedder in a Beatles wig, giant sunglasses on drums. Wow. Okay. And then he played with Mike Watt for the, the main show. Mike Watt's band for the main show was his drummer sometimes, Dave Grohl sometimes, Eddie Vedder on guitar and singing the whole time. And then when Dave didn't play the drums, when he played guitar, um, his drummer from the Foo Fighters would jump on the kit. So it's, is it Andy, what's he called? Taylor Hawkins. No, this was this was the first one. Okay. Taylor, Taylor's the they brought him in two or three years after the band started. I don't remember for sure. But it was just such an interesting night. And the radio, the local radio station actually let everybody in on the joke the day before the show. And it went from probably selling two or three hundred tickets to immediately selling out. Wow. Yeah. I already sounds, had my tickets. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Uh, yeah, I've got a Mike Watt album called um tugboat and something ball hog or tugboat it was that tour well i was gonna say because that eddie vedder is on probably one of the standout tracks on that album called the kids of today should defend themselves against the 70s um <laughs> or i think it's just called against the 70s but that's the yeah. line it's a great track um yeah that's a great record actually very very cool um yeah that would have been amazing i must admit i'm not a big foo fighters fan sorry but yeah, I think we've discussed this before, actually. But um, but uh, but but Dave Grohl is um an amazing drummer, um, and you know, and other things as well. He's, he's, not he's an amazing, drummer. amazing, amazingly talented musician, and yeah. you'll never hear me say. And a really cool guy, and very much into music, and into music being right and correct, and and done the way that we, you know, we all grew up loving. But the reason why I brought that up actually was to say. Kenoma kind of reminds me a little bit of that band Hovercraft. Ah. The songs are so avant-garde. Mm -hmm. It's, I guess, kind of like classical music where, you know, there's not that common refrain. There's not that bridge chorus kind of thing. It's just, they just get on the boat and see where the river goes. Mm, I like it. Yeah, I like that. And I think 
yeah, like I say, with doom metal and things, it's good to push it in a slightly different direction. You still got to sound like doom metal, obviously, but um, you know, I used to play shows with a lot of doom bands, and some of them were great. But after a while, you got you got so bored with the ones that were just average, you know, uh, or that didn't do anything different. I suppose that's what I'm saying. They oh just yeah, did the same thing. Like let's just play seven different chords really slowly and hit the drums really slowly. Whereas, like I say, that had a great atmosphere and a whole feel of its own. So anyway. Yeah, it wasn't just them doing redoing Black Sabbath tunes. Exactly, exactly. But anyway, we're not here to just talk about them. Um, so what are we on with today, Nick? Well, obviously we're talking about Steve Vai. And we have discussed Steve Vai many times over the course of this podcast here and there and in our live shows that we used to do on Instagram, which let me say, I, I prefer this to what that was in every yeah. capacity, but you, I have never made you listen to Steve Vai and Steve Vai came up last week. I don't when we were discussing vanilla ice, I have no idea. <laughs> I haven't listened back to the episode yet because I listen back when they come out, when, when they're released. But somehow we came up with Steve Vai and I just laughed and said, all right, next week we're doing flexible. So here we are. We are doing Steve Vai's first solo album. I think there's a good chance, and we haven't talked about this yet because we don't discuss these things before we go on air because we don't want to waste good words. I think there's a good chance you will have, you will have enjoyed this album. You don't got to tell me yet. I'm just saying, because this is at the time when Steve Vai was still playing with Frank Zappa. This, I would argue, I, we haven't ever discussed Frank, but I think you're a Frank Zappa fan. Am I right? Well. Oh, that's a long pause. <laughs> that's a long pause. Well, you see, I need to, I need to get onto this whole thing. I mean, okay, yes, I am a Frank Zappa fan. Okay, so I am, but, it, but there's a but, and there's a big but with this. Um, shall I tell you now? Did, I think you were kind of in the middle. I don't know if you wanted to- No, that, that okay. was the whole thing. I just think because, because of the timing of this and yep. where Steve I was in his career, is there's we all know there's a strong Frank Zappa influence on this album. Yep. And I just think that this might yep. be more palatable to you rather than yep. passion and warfare. Sure. I mean, look, I think what we need to do, rather than me go into loads of the detail of the backstory of this album, because I don't know that much about it. I did a little bit of research. As far as I can tell, it's his first album. That's about it. Um, and Recorded you know, in his home studio, too. Oh, sure. And I think he mixed it himself as well. Um, but so there's probably a few things. But but instead of going on too much about that stuff, which maybe you can um, come, come in with in a minute, if you know other bits of trivia. Not a whole lot. Okay, sure. Well, I wanted to talk about my opinion of Frank Zappa and my opinion of Steve Vai generally, because those are relevant to what I'm going to say after this when we get into the track by track. Okay, so for me, Frank Zappa, I'm, I've am i tried a few different albums of Frank Zappa and there's there's some, I, I'm, not, I'm not an aficionado by any stretch of the imagination. I should probably get more of his stuff and keep going. Um, the one that really stands out, which I really do like, is Hot Rats. I think it's a great record. Um, and the reason why it works for me is because even though it's kooky and weird and a bit, I mean, progressive doesn't quite cover it. Progressive in the more broad sense of the way. It's not prog rock as such, but right. it's, it's odd, it's unusual, it pushes the boundaries um, of rock music, but it also has a flow to it, it has a feel, and and also it, you get the impression that it is 
kind of sincere, and that's a strange thing to say, but this is big for me with Frank Zappa, um, because a lot of his other stuff, maybe maybe more the later stuff, and well, basically what I find is there's this kind of lack of sincerity, and it's like there'll be albums where you get a version of a funk track and it's amazing and it's just as good as the masters of funk playing funk. And then you get like a jazz track, a, I don't know, a jazz fusion track. And it's again, amazing. And you also get a reggae track and then you get um, a kind of romantic love ballad and you get all these different styles and Frank Zappa can absolutely nail the style. He just, you know, has utterly absorbed all of the facets of that musical style. He can play it. The guys in his band um, can can play it. But there's this insincerity, this kind of um, taking the mick, this this um, this irony, this kind of silliness, which I think some people absolutely love. And I find it I find it a bit difficult because for me, I'm I'm so, when it gets to those Frank Zappa records, I start to not be sure whether this is meant to be comedy like when um the mighty boosh are doing their silly songs or whether this is something serious wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute the mighty boosh they weren't serious musicians <laughs> sorry to break it to you nick i'm gonna um, cancel i'm gonna or, cancel some of some uh, online orders real quick or like flight of the concourse i don't know if you've heard them they're a new zealand outfit mm -hmm. that do comedy it's worth watching they do comedy and music um but anyway so 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 i find it a bit difficult and and also i find so the insincerity, the kind of irony of it, I find a bit odd. I, I sort of think, should I be getting into this? Should I be investing emotionally into it? Or am I meant to be laughing at it? And I ne I'm never quite sure. Or is it a bit of both? And then also it's the jumping around between styles. I find it too much. It's like, okay, Frank, we know you can do reggae really well. And we know you can do heavy metal really well, but you've put the reggae track straight after the metal track and they sound nothing like each other and it's you get into a, again like weird al yankovic where it's like he can do all these styles and it's great because it's weird al and obviously but we know a that's a joke exactly and that's why i'm fine with weird al because it's clearly a joke and you're just laughing out loud at the lyrics whereas with zappa it's like well he's clearly a genius a musical genius don't get me wrong but it's like he's almost so much he's almost three steps ahead of it's almost post post ironic if you see what i mean um if that's a thing i don't know if it is but it's like so far around the corner of ironic that it's back back to non-ironic and then back round again and you're like whoa <laughs> And I'm going to stop in a minute because I know I'm really going on here, but my, I am my... Enjoy I'm enjoying this diatribe. It's making <laughs> me laugh. It's making me think. So that's where I'm at with, with Zappa. And don't get me wrong. I do like a lot of his stuff. I should listen to more of it as well. And, but, but I'm kind of, I'm very much hit and miss with, with his stuff. Um, and I respect that he's a musical genius, but I don't find myself putting those records on that much although hot rats if there's more stuff like hot rats please let me know which albums they are because i, I guys put them. out like a hundred albums exactly so. exactly now steve vai okay so okay so of course as a guitar player myself there's a certain stage where somebody um in, in your teenage years somebody goes have you ever heard steve vai and it's usually steve vai and joe satriani in pretty much the same one or the other sentence yeah and for me, okay. Well, did basically. you know that Joe Satriani was Steve Vai's guitar teacher when they I were do. Okay. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. And basically, and Kirk Hammett's as well was. No, Joe. Kirk Hammett took advanced lessons with Satriani. Okay. Well, uh, after Kill 'em All. 
Okay, sure. That's sure. why his solos on Ride the Lightning were so much better than on Kill 'Em All. So basically, and, and as I understand it, Satriani at some point thought, hang on a second, all these people that I've taught are making millions, selling loads of records and touring the world, but I'm just sitting here being a guitar teacher. Why don't I make my own music? Um, but so, okay, so for me, neither of those guys are the sort of music that I want to put on all the time. Um, but Satriani, I find it, I, I quite like Satriani. I've, I've got a few Satriani records and I will listen to them. And if I just, I know some of it's a bit cheesy, but I just allow myself to, to just get past that. And it's great. There's some really nice melodies and riffs and there's, there's, there's some cool stuff and, and I like it um, in a slightly guitar nerdy way, but also I, th I think it's good music beyond that as well. Um, with Steve Vai, I mean, I think my problem with it is it's a lot of it is so overblown and bombastic and so showy offy. And, and I get it. It is in like clearly he's incredible. He's again, he's a musical genius as a, as a guitar technician, as, as a musical theorist, all those things. I, you know, nobody is better than him. He invented um, two keys. Okay. I, yeah, okay, okay. Even, yes. I mean, to take it one step further, he invented two keys. Which keys did he invent? I have no idea. So it's like, okay, okay, I can go with that. Okay. You know, so clearly, absolutely innovative, but I've never found myself liking much of the music. And I kind of tried as a teenager. Um, and and this isn't just jealousy, because like clearly these guys are both better technical guitar players than I am. But it's, it really isn't about that. It's just that for me, I want music to make me feel something. And I don't actually care how hard it is to play. I think it's great if you can play the stuff that's hard to play because it, it gives you more of a palette to work with. So you can use different emotions and you can um, create different feels and all, all that sort of stuff. But I think when it becomes about just showing off what you can play rather than using it as using it as a means to an end that is where it gets a bit problematic and for me Satriani and Vi both do a, probably do a bit of that where they kind they kind of want to show what they can do and they kind of want to impress and amaze people but for me Vi does it a lot more and also for me that a lot of the time the music's just it just doesn't make much sense to me. The music just doesn't, it, it's a bit emotionless and a bit cold and a bit kind of, uh, it's almost like the music's just there to serve the twiddly guitar solo, which is just there to serve the show off factor in Steve Vai. Now, I'm sure there's more than that. I'm sure there's more to it than that. I'm sure people do get an emotional experience from Steve Vai's music. I'm sure he does. So I'm not saying that- um, Some of that, it. Yeah, I'm not saying that that's necessarily his intention, but it just that's how it feels to me. No, I, I, no, I completely get that. And that is one of the big knocks on Steve Vai. Yeah. And I think to really be a fan of Steve Vai, you have got to be not just a guitar player, but to actually get an emotional response out of what he's playing. You have got to be a little bit deeper into music nerdery than your average fan. Yeah, may, maybe so. I mean, 
I suppose that's where I start to question it because I kind of think I like music that works on different levels. I like music that maybe you don't quite hear the lyrics at first, but then later on when you get them, you think, oh, wow, that's what Roger Waters is talking about. He's made it's this whole diatribe about nuclear war or whatever, you know, as an example. And I think the same thing can be true uh, in terms of musicianship and technicality where you go, oh, wow, you know, I've been listening to this song for a few years and I never realised that's how they, they play that bit. Oh, that's really impressive. But for me, the main thing isn't that. The main thing is it's, it's got to hit you um you know in the same in the same way that if you look at a beautiful painting you shouldn't have to know how you shouldn't have to have it explained to you how many brush strokes it took in order to go oh now i like it like either you like it or you don't really um, i get that i completely get that but for me i get that from steve <laughs> by without having to have it explained there sure. are times where i'll hear something he's done or i'll watch a video of him playing it and it becomes more impressive and more interesting because like there, I think he might've done it on this album, but there is a trick because as we all know, he has been a huge user of the, the double, the Floyd Rose double lock tremolos. Yeah. So what he will do is he'll hold a, a bar cord, hold the bar up and start karate chopping the bar. Yeah. And moving and sliding the, the cord around which when I saw him doing that, it's like, oh, that's how he's getting that? And, but I mean, like when I hear For the Love of God or The Audience is Listening or The Story of Light, The Story of Light was his last album that came out in 2014. And it, it's a lot, they're still twiddly guitar bits as you would put it, but they're far fewer and, f and much fewer and, and farther in between. And he actually sings a little bit on it. And it's just a truly beautiful record and like the the track uh creamsicle dream good lord he plays that one on um an eric johnson model fender strat and it sounds like nothing else he's ever done and that's one of the things i like about him is he can do stuff like you've never heard before pretty frequently yeah no yeah I, I i get that i get that and he certainly he does have a style and i'm sure he's invented so many techniques and styles that have then been copied by others who have put it into a different sort of music that's maybe a little less a little less guitar player technician focused and i'm sh you know i'm sure he's done a lot for the advancement of music but uh, you know it's like for me say i am maiden you know dave murray he's a pretty technical guitar player he does some pretty twiddly stuff and and it's great because it works with the song and the songs are the song the songs work they, they give you an emotional experience so you've got that that backdrop there and then the twiddliness works to enhance that whereas for me with steve Vai, it just feels too much like um i've got to put the twiddly bits in to show that i can do a new twiddly bit which uses my 19th finger which i've grown you know genetically modified on my knee i don't know <laughs> i don't know there, there's the reason why i think you can listen to dave murray's twiddly bits and adrian smith has twiddly bits and maybe even yannick if he has any i don't know um, <laughs> it's not the focus of the song yeah it's you know it comes in here's a nice little here's a solo we're gonna get back to bruce screaming awesome or Blaze Bailey, if it we're having a bad day, apparently. <laughs> Thank you, Anto, for doing the show. Appreciate you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so 
And honestly, on this one, there's not a whole lot of good trivia regarding the recording of the album. Like most of his albums, each each track has a different group of people playing on it. Uh, when we get into the track by track, if you'd like, I can list off what is credited each time. But apart from him doing this in his home studio, him doing this while he was a sideman for, for Frank Zappa, I don't have anything. Yeah, no, I didn't find a whole lot either. Um, there's two covers for it. I, I um, Yeah, there's an original cover from 1984, which is like pink on black. Um, and I'm, I'm, he's, he's sort of pulling what looks like chewing gum off a wall or something like this or he or maybe it's a looks more like it might be a female hand actually but but anyway um and then there's another cover from 1988 which has a a bendy guitar on it um and it's also i suppose it's worth noting that this was 1984 and he didn't release his next solo album until 1990 so that was a six-year gap so um well, yeah he, did, I don't he also did two albums with david lee roth in that time Ah, yes, I'd forgotten that. So there you go. So that's, I have those two. So that's maybe part <laughs> of it. Um, yeah, and I guess the only other thing to say is that this this does have a different feel largely um, from the other later stuff that I've heard, at least, of uh, Steve Vai. Um, there's maybe one or two songs which could have been placed on some of his later albums, but most of the songs here are quite different from what you oh. get. Later very on. true and there, there's one that's and we'll i'll discuss it more when we get to it but there's one that i listened to it and went huh that sounds really familiar as though he came back to that song and threw it on passion and warfare redid it and did it correctly interesting there you go um yeah, so I, f I feel like I had something else i was going to say but i can't think what it was now so i think maybe we'll just get into the track by track Sorry, grabbing the, since I made the offer, I figured I'd better grab it. Uh, I have the, I don't think that that information that's, about the cover is correct. That's 1988 reissue. Oh, well, this is from Wikipedia, but when you Google it, there's, yeah, there's definitely a different cover, um, which is pink on black. It's a completely different cover altogether. Right. And it does this say is, that's the original from 1984. This, uh, I mean, this is original vinyl. This is it? From 1984. I think. Don't quote me on that though. Uh, but it is a. You know, although it's it's I don't know, I, I don't think for sure that that's the correct because I remember. Well, then again, and I, I don't know if it was re-released. I'm gonna shut up. No, who knows? You could well be right. Um, third cover. Oh wow, this is interesting. I see. I'm looking on Discogs now. I'll keep looking on Discogs as we go because those. Those people on Discogs probably have this stuff uh, correct, I would guess. Uh, but anyway. I just found a, on the inside of this, IRD mail order heavy metal and hardcore records and tapes. Okay. Um, yeah. It's got Husker Du on it. Oh, okay. Nice. I like Husker Du. And it's also got uh, Billy, Billy Joel's first band, Attila. That's something we should do, too. Okay, wow. I didn't even know about metalheads and hardcore fanatics. Right. All right, I'm gonna put this away because nobody wants to hear this. No, that's cool. Yeah, I think I think that yeah, the original oh yeah, I'm looking at original vinyl here, and I think the original original is that other cover with the pink on black. Okay. Um, but 
I don't know. I don't know. Let's let's not get uh, too bogged down in this, I guess. Um, Correct. Let's start um, the track by track. Unless you got anything else to lead up to this, which no, I that's do. fine. All righty. I will take this one out because I got the titles and the and all that. Yeah, I have got them as well because I looked. But yeah, but it's fine. Yeah, no worries. Uh, we're gonna do side flex first because side flex and side able. Oh yeah, there you go. Uh, track one is Little Green Men, written by Vine. Well, they're all written by Vine, so I'm not going to say that. But Steve I plays guitars, all guitars, vocals, munchkins, bass, easy keyboard part, synthesizer, Lynn drum programming. Scott Collard plays the hard keyboard part, synths, Rhodes, Prophet. Paul Lemke is keys, Stu Ham is munchkin vocals, and others. Stu Ham is one of the greatest bass players of all time, and he doesn't get to play on the track. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, indeed. Ernie Ranton and Ursula Raven, Munchkin vocals, Bob Harris trumpet, Greg Degler flute, Larry Crane piccolo, xylophone vibes, and Bell Lyre. Yeah, there's lots of people on this record. As I'm just looking now on Wikipedia, there's something like 20 people on it, but still, Steve Vai does synthesizer, bass, guitar, percussion, piano, electric guitars, keyboards, sitar, vocals, bells, producer, engineer, drum machine, drum programming, design, and mixing. So, wow. So he's very much, he, he takes all the jobs that he can, <laughs> but anything else, he, <laughs> he, he gets a million other people to do whatever they do best, I guess. Um, okay. So, well, do you want to start? What do you think of this one? Uh, I don't like this one. The the vocals, the the all the goofy... Uh you know, little green men, munchkin vocals are just dumb. And I'm, I'm listening to this song going, come on, man, start playing. Come on, give me something. Yeah. This... Sorry. That, no, that's it, really. Yeah. I mean, there's there's very little um, in the way of the technical guitar stuff that we know by for on this track. Um, you've got these weird sped up vocals. I mean, they're supposed to be aliens, you know, little green men. Very unmetal um there's some there are some super proggy kind of twiddly moments but not twiddly in the metal guitar sense more twiddly in the emerson lake and palmer sense i suppose yeah and you've got this odd kind of groove it's like a bit almost bossing over ish you found a groove in that song well yeah but an odd one it's like bossing over jazz fusion prog rock um and i think that's a lot of what characterizes this album it's it's, it's far more down the jazz fusion route than the metal prog route prog rock route that he went down later on and i to me that's probably um the influence of zappa because zappa was yeah zappa, zappa was um not necessarily a jazz musician as such but he was very influenced by that whole kind of jazz fusion thing um yeah it pushes into the weirdest ends of that kind of zapparesque jazz fusion progressive thing i don't know i just can't get into it i just think it's kind of silly and just it's, just a bit too odd there's nothing wrong with being odd but it's just it's too it's like self-consciously odd it's like let's let's make something odd right exactly <laughs> that that's where i was going to go with this too it's when you were discussing the the sincerity is this a joke is this real that's how i feel about this song i don't exactly. know if it's a joke exactly that and that's one of the reasons why i brought that up about zappa because there's a lot of that going on in this record too um which i, I think later on most of the time steve Vai, you get the impression that he's totally sincere about it um, correct a bit of humor maybe but not just oh Definitely. i'm gonna 
definitely humor on his part, but it's not, it's not a joke. It's not him, you know, going, here's this bit, here's that bit. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so number two, we've got Viv Women. Is that Viv Woman? Viv Woman. Uh, this one is dedicated to Vivian Carly, whom I don't know. Steve okay. Vai, all guitars and bass. Stu Ham gets to play the bass this time. Chris Fraser drums. Pia Mayoko vocals. Bob Harris trumpet. So a lot less people involved. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This song, I really like this song. It starts off with a really nice guitar riff and the some very nice tasteful twiddly keys. Well, I guess those aren't keys. What are those? I can't remember. There's some clean guitars. There probably are some keys, I think. Unless, then, unless there's no keys listed. Uh, Stu, no, there's no keys listed, but it's not oh. no keys. Uh, Stu Ham, when Stu Ham plays bass with Steve Vai, they make amazing instrumental magic. Those two play so well together. Mm -hmm. And I wish Stu Ham was on every track that Steve Vai ever did forever, but he's not. And, you know, the, the harmony trumpets, after that, there's a harmony trumpet solo, which I really enjoyed which is weird for a Steve Vai record, but all of this is weird for a Steve Vai record mostly. And then we get some beautiful Steve Vai twiddly noodly shreddy, which makes no sense to the rest of the song, which makes it perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, to me, it's like prog rock jazz fusion with a bit of 80s funk pop, almost Prince style stuff going on. I kind of like the grooves. Um, there's some more classic Steve Vai guitars going on. It's still not mega heavy or metally or anything like that, but um, but there's some some clean guitars that are reminiscent of the clean stuff he does later. And there's this super bombastic solo, which for me is just too much. You know, um, it's it's a taste thing. I, it's just the, the solo <laughs> in this song is not tasteful. Yeah, I think that's I think that's part of my problem. I, th I think. To me, Satriani, although he 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 probably does show off sometimes, I feel like he sticks within the boundaries of what's acceptable in the track. Whereas I feel like Vi goes, you know what? I want to do a bombastic solo. So this track doesn't suit a bombastic solo, but I'm gonna do it anyway, and we'll just meld the track around it. That that's that, kind of how I feel. On this album, yes, <laughs> I, I agree with that because he, you know, and we'll get into some more of those later. But uh, yeah. uh, moving on to Lovers Are Crazy. Steve Vai, vocals, guitars, synths, piano, bass, percussion, bell lyre. There's, I don't even know what that is. Um, Lynn Drummond. like a guitar, isn't it? But uh, who knows? Uh, Ranton and Raven, background vocals, Bob Harris, trumpet, Greg Degler, saxophone. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, Go yeah. Sorry, we're, we're, we're trying not to talk over each other and then we're not talking at all, so I'll, I'll talk. So, yeah, you've got these kind of clean, romantic, uh, but but also funky prog guitars. It's a bit balladish. You've got these soulish vocals. I don't know. You've got, I, I tell you what, I do like the Zapparesque brass bit that comes in. That's a bit of a recurring theme that I think kind of works. Um, it's a bit like Yes combined with Marvin Gaye. You've got, like, soul... And you've got prog rock and it's odd and it sort of works but for me it pushes it a bit too far a, a, a bit past my boundaries of acceptability 
when there's these ironic, silly vocal bits. I can't remember exactly what's being said, but Steve Vai with his voice starts to do a silly accent and he's obviously, obviously getting a bit silly on purpose. And it's meant to be silly, you know, but for me, again, we go back to that sincerity thing. It's like, okay, you've got these nice kind of gospel soul female vocals coming in. We're going a bit down the soul route. But is that because you want this to be a serious kind of soul track or is it that you're laughing at soul music or is it that I just I can't quite work it out. And it's that 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 just yeah, I can't it doesn't quite doesn't quite hit home with me for that reason, basically. I enjoyed this song. It 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 was it was silly. I mean, all of this is a little bit silly and it's kind of like we're seeing Steve Vai in the cocoon sure there's, there's steve vi with frank zappa which is the caterpillar then there's yeah. steve vi who's the butterfly not necessarily meaning one is better than the other but you know he goes through he goes through a metamorphosis and that's this album this album is that metamorphosis so we get a lot of you know a lot of untasteful stuff and we get some tasteful stuff and we get some weird stuff and we get some serious stuff it's it's moving all around but mm -hmm. i the you know frank's influence on this album is very strong which makes it strange but yeah, I, I i enjoyed the heavily affected guitars on this one the the acoustics to start it off with i thought that was cool and you know steve Vai has taken a lot of flack over the over the career over the life of his career for his vocals because and frankly i don't know why he wants to sing so bad but he never stopped trying and i respect that but i i like his vocals that he sang on this one and i don't know how i would describe his voice it's not you know classically beautiful that's for certain but i think it works yeah i, I don't think his voice is bad on it at all um yeah you know yeah it's it's okay it's okay um but yeah i just can't can't quite get past that thing of is this serious or not and also and it's the style thing as well it's like why are we why have we got this soul influence going on suddenly because that wasn't on the previous tracks and there is a lot it's, it's kind of like he's dealing cards yes and it's, it's and he picks up his hand and goes oh well with these guys i can make a soul track let's do that yeah, and it's a Zappa thing. That's that's very much a Zappa thing. The later Zappa thing was was really a lot like that, and that's what I don't like about it. Basically, I'm afraid. But but look anyway. But you know, it's fine. Um, and by the way, just to say, all of this, just just two things about the whole album. It's all incredibly well done. Obviously, as you'd expect, the musicianship is exemplary, and also it's got a kind of an interesting production and mix, which I think was largely done by, well, I think it was done by by himself. I'm not sure whether he mixes later stuff. It's very dry, very, very dry. And I was starting to notice that that was the running theme. This very dry, slightly almost constricted sound. Um, kind of works, not necessarily terrible, but um, very un-80s actually. Like there's, there's hardly any extra effects um yeah it's it definitely it's i think honestly he couldn't afford to do any of that yeah may, maybe so maybe so yeah on yeah. on the back of the album it says he had never intended to even release this right it was something he did for fun interesting so, 
interesting. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what it says. Sure. And sure. it was, rec- I mean, it wasn't recorded on a real studio. It was recorded on a Fostex, a Fostex oh, wow. track. Oh, well, that would be why it's so dry then, because you can't really do that stuff. When- All right. That's very interesting. Okay. Right. There we but, are. Uh, moving on to Salamanders in the Stunt, Sun, excuse me. Steve Vai, guitarist, Coral Sitar, synthesizer, Lynn Drum Machine, Peggy Foster, fretless bass, Greg Diggler, flute and clarinet, and Larry Klain, Crane, Bell Lyre. And I, when I was listening to this originally, I thought the sitar was on the previous track, and I just didn't realize it moved into the next one. I, I liked that sitar, and the the electric affected sitar is one of the most wonderful and amazing instruments if you use it for less than ten seconds. <laughs> Any more than ten seconds, and it's too much. Uh, I also, you know, the when I read the fact that it was a fretless bass, which I think is a silly distinction, but it is what it is. I actually paid more attention and there is a lot of really beautiful sl- bass slides on this one. So yeah, I mean, I could definitely tell that. And, you know, I really like this one. It's, we were, we're getting into part of the, the album where it makes very little sense, but it works for me for some reason. Sure. I mean, yeah, for me, this one's wistful prog rock. It's kind of like the lighter end of ELP or Yes or Genesis. You've got got a lot of twiddly flutes and twiddly guitars, but not in a metal twiddly sense, in a prog rock, um, early 70s prog rock, mid 70s prog rock kind of sense. Um, you, you know what? It's it's fine. It's that's I've never been into that side of prog rock too much. Um, I do like Genesis, um, but for me, prog rock, the prog rock that I like is stuff like Hawkwinds, where they go super spacey, or it's Pink Floyd. Um, the, the stuff where it's a bit more swiddly and um, well, the thing know. about those bands is when they go like progressive and, and huge it's not you know Kansas Genesis and oh god yes those bands they're like dealing cards it's the same thing it's like they've got cards and they deal it out going okay this is going to be a flam- it's going to start off flamenco it's going to go to classical we're going to shoot some opera in there and maybe we're going to have a disco bridge and then we're going to go into rock and then we're going to go into 12 bar blues. That's how this, that's this song. And that's kind of a lot of this record. Yeah. And I, I tend to not like that whole thing. Um, so yeah, look, yeah, it's, you know what? It's fine. This is fine. It's a decent bit of that type of prog rock. If you like that sort of thing. Um, yeah. You know, I, I am enjoying you just, trying so hard not to insult <laughs> this no this is fine this is fine everything have some tea we're english <laughs> I, I am sorry that i made you listen to this my daughter said when i was listening back to it dad this sucks <laughs> uh, yeah i i i to an extent i agree but you know we'll be a bit more nuanced than that but yeah correct correct we got that's that's the goal I want to, we want to give everybody the feeling of what we went through. Uh, yes. Next is the boy girl song written by Vi, Ranton and Raven, all vocals. That's two people, Ranton, Ambersand, Raven, Chris Frazier, drums, Bob Harris, trumpet, and Greg Diggler, saxes. Uh, this is like the Beach Boys surf pop tune and it was terrible. Yeah, oh, I'm just looking now, and <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah, ranting and raving. Bob Harris is 
is ranting. That's that's who he is. And Susanna mm. Harris is raving. I see. I get it. That is stupid. um yeah. So you said it's Sorry. terrible. Um Oh, yeah, totally terrible. Yeah, I mean, you've got this poppy shuffle with clean guitars. It's like 50s influenced, yeah, almost a tiny bit doo-wop. But then you've got jazz fusion prog mixed in, and it's ah, it's stylistic confusion. Um, to be honest, there are some genuinely catchy melodies in here that if you use them in a piece that was properly in that style, it could be great. But again, I've just written down, I'm unclear if this is ironic or serious or a bit of both. It's odd. It's mixed up. It's... I don't know what it is. That 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 is a great description for this song. And the, the last note I wrote on this one is there are so many Steve buys. Or is it Steve's Vi? I don't know. Well, however you want to look uh, at it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like we're getting I'm confused as a listener. At exactly. This and if the, the statement was correct that he'd never intended to release it, it makes sense. Maybe these were just a series of demos that he was going to put out to check to see how he wanted to proceed in the future and this and that. Who knows? If it's even true. Yeah. Well, next we have the Attitude oh, Song. Hang on, hang on. Sorry. We're now on side Able. We are. We are. The Attitude Song is... Yes. This is my favorite track, just for the record. And see if you can guess why. Well... Uh, Steve Vai, all guitars. Stu Ham bass. Chris Frazier, drums. There you go. Well, the thing about the Attitude Song, as soon as I heard this, I recognised it. And that is because it, when I did a little research, so for a start, I thought, okay, this just sounds more like what I expect from Steve Vai. And then when I researched it a bit, I realised that this song was played um, a lot throughout his career, or probably is still played now. Yeah, I um, recognise this song from concerts I've seen. This was on the G3, um, one of the G3 concerts, which mm. I, I, a friend of my, a good friend of mine, who was also a guitar player, had a couple of the G3 VHS tapes and we used to watch them at his house and he, he was into these guys and I was on the fence with them at the time. I was kind of thinking, do I just not quite get this music yet or is it that I don't really like it? And it turned out I didn't really like it. But um, but anyway, yeah, this this song is definitely on, on that. I don't know if it's just Steve Vai that plays it or if he's got um, Satriani and Eric Johnson with him as well. Who knows? But I think on that, it was the, the way they did it was it was uh, they would each play a set and then they would play a mini set of all three together. I think that's what it is. Yeah. So, so this is probably just from Vai's set. So, yeah, look, um, it's, it's heavier. You've got this riffs in 7-8, give them a bit of a prog feel, but they're metalish. You've got the twiddly solos. Um, it's a bit heavier. The production doesn't work for this heavier sound, to be honest. Um, it needs, I don't know if it was maybe re-recorded on a later album. It should have been, um, in my view, because with, with some really nice, big, powerful drums and stuff, this could be really nice and heavy. And with some more layered guitars um, and more, a bit of a more crushing, heavy guitar tone, um, it could be great, but but it still comes across um, well. There's some nice guitar melodies and, and tones and harmonies, and there are some over-the-top ridiculous guitar solo bits, which I've described as ultra-prog silliness, which that's when he takes it a bit too far for me. But, yeah, look, I kind of get this. This is, this is what he does a lot of later on, and although it isn't always for me, when it's not going into that really over the top mode, I kind of like it. You know, there's some cool riffs, um, you know. So, yeah, I think it's my favorite song on the album as well. I just 
I love the fact that it's just the three guys just banging it out. It's not adding in instruments that nobody even knows what they are. Yes. And it definitely, excuse me. I hope that burp didn't come across because I can't edit. Um, but, only now that you told us it happened, now it's come across. No, I didn't burp. <laughs> uh, but it, it sounds like it, it's Shades of Passion and Warfare, which was his next solo album. Yeah. And this is when I feel like if we're doing the caterpillar butterfly metaphor, this is Steve by breaking out of breaking out of the, the, the cocoon and stretching his wings. He's not quite Steve Vai yet as we know him, but it's moving there. And wanted to, you've mentioned, you know, a lot of this isn't very metal and no, it's not. And that was the big surprise for me on this album, because we all have this idea of Steve Vai and it's, you may not like it, but it is metal and it's not here. No, a little here on this one, but. Yeah, this track is the the one metally one, really. So let's move on then. So next we have Call It Sleep. Uh, dedicated to the beautiful memory of Lori Good and Mary Savage. Steve Vai, all guitars. Scott Collard, Rhodes. Stu Ham, bass. Pete Zeldman, drums. Yeah, so this is balladish. It's got dreamy ambient guitars and electric piano textures at the start. And then it kicks into this very slow ballad with lots of clean harmonic-y guitar soloing. To me, it's a bit Stevie Ray Vaughan-esque, but more jazzy and less bluesy. Um, but some of those Stevie Ray Vaughan ballads are a bit a bit close to this um, in a way. And then it kicks in to another, it goes up a gear again where you've got a heavier, thick guitar tone. And you know what? It's, it's all right. I quite like this. It's a bit like Weather Report. You know, it's, it's that jazz fusion really slow mellow blissed out jazz fusion um with a bit of prog rock in there and you know what it's all going quite well and then for me again all going quite well until until yeah and guess what mr vi comes in with mr vi comes in hey it's all going fine we can't just have it all going fine i've got to come in and do something ridiculous so what he does does. does, totally does does. whammy bar bit it's this tremolo um bit and and you know what it's um, it's impressive technically but it's like you've got this really kind of sensitive sensitive kind of smooth um what's the word slightly kind of romantic really tender that's the word i'm looking for tender kind of bad oh yeah Oh, yeah. And then Vi comes in and goes, okay, this is what this needs. And you think, what was what? that? Exactly. Uh, so anyway, I see you've been reading my notes. <laughs> there you Just go. because we're professional, we write notes on these. Yeah. <laughs> it's not because we would forget what we thought. Anyway. You know, this song, it, this is very reminiscent of the Steve Vai song, which is For the Love of God, which routinely gets voted top five guitar solos of all time. Sure. For the Love of God is quintessential Steve Vai. And it's long, it's progressive, it is beautiful. It's a little shreddy, but not untastefully so. It's, it's tasteful. This one, it starts off just like that. It's soft, as you put it, tender, great word. It's atmospheric, it's taking me somewhere. I'm feeling this wonderful flowing breeze. 
and then all of a sudden it's like you're at a party and the punk kids just showed up it's like you're having a wine party and now the punk kids are there with beer <laughs> yeah it's a good way of putting it yeah it, that's and the way i put it was he just can't help himself he exactly. just has to do it and he did it and he ruined it he he couldn't stop himself yeah and it's just like when i saw okay and i think i might have actually told this story before in the episode but if i did it was ages ago so i'm going to quickly tell it again deep purple um i used to be a really really big fan of deep purple and then i saw them um live with almost the mark ii lineup which is the most famous lineup that did smoke on the water and all that stuff but it wasn't Richie Blackmore, it was Steve Morse, who's another one of these guys you might put in the category of Joe Satriani. Oh, he's in Yes. He's from Yes. Okay, there you go. Uh, not, it's not, he's not an original Yes, though. It's not, um, he, but anyway, Steve. Anyway, he's the one that had the song The Clap, the solo. I don't know. I'm not sure, but he's definitely not like one of the original Yes guys. I'm not no, saying no. he's never. Well, I don't think the pro no. I don't think any of those prog bands no, have he's an not. original lineup. Do he's they? not. No, he's not. He's not from Yes. I'm just looking now. He's not. He's not from. Yes. Oh, I'm thinking of Steve Howe. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's it. Steve Howe. Now, Steve Morse is a bit of a slightly younger guy, um, but yeah, I don't think he's been. Oh yeah, that's right. A band called the Dixie Dregs. He was in. But that I name he, rings a bell, but I can't picture any music. Yeah. But I think he's largely known, I, th I think he's probably done solo albums and he's known as one of these guitar players, one of these super technical guitar players. But anyway, so so I was watching Deep Purple, you know, as a teenager and it was great, it was a great show. Um, and Ian Gillen was singing great and all that. But there's a song called When a Blind Man Cries, which is a, a kind of a rock ballad, you might call it. And Richie Blackmore's original solo is really tasteful, really sensitive, and it's, it's just great and really sparse. And when it came to Steve Morse doing that song, it started off in a similar way. So he's going, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and sing the solo. But anyway, so he does these really nice little tasteful licks. But then about 10 seconds in, again, he could not help himself. He has to go. And you think, what are you doing? This is a, this is a ballad. This is a slow, tender song. And Blackmore's solo is nothing like that, but he just couldn't help himself. It's like um, it's like all of here. a sudden, if you're listening to "You've Lost That Love and Feeling" by the 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 Everly brother, the Everly Brothers, yeah, and then all of a sudden, Eddie Van Halen shows up playing "Eruption" in the middle of it, yeah, and then goes and I, away, yeah. And I think it is a problem for I think when you get good at your instrument, um, and and I'm not I'm not saying I'm as as technically gifted as these guys are um but i remember when i first started getting to the stage where i knew i could play quite well and i knew i could play faster than quite a lot of other people maybe and i knew that if i went to a if i went to play a show you know chances were i could probably play technically better than most of the other guitar players who were going to be in the other bands and stuff and i kind of knew that and i started to feel like i had to show it and it took me a few years before I was like, hang on, stop doing that. Like, that's, stop that's trying a to common play thing. That, yeah. That's so common. It's, you know, I speak multiple languages, which in America is like so weird. So yes, I do try to show it off probably more than I should. I don't mm -hmm. always need to speak Spanish at the, the Mexican restaurant. I do. 
And there's a guy that plays for the Blues. His name is Jordan Cairo. And he is a faster skater than probably 98% of the NHL. Not the world, the NHL. I mean, the, the professional best league in the world. And there was a time where he couldn't pass the puck. Every time he'd get the puck, it's like, okay, I need to beat him with my speed. Maybe not. And yeah, right now we're we're at the genesis of Steve Vai's songwriting. So yeah. yeah, there probably is a part of him thinking, I gotta really show what I can do on these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think there is that. I think there is that. Um, okay, look, let's let's move on then. So next, now for me, this is where it gets weird. This is where the album, I mean, and now I, I say gets weird. It's hang, hang on, hang on. Before, before we weird. get into that, this okay. is the track Junkie. Yes. Bob Harris on lead vocals, Stu Ham on background vocals, not bass. Okay. Steve Vai, all guitars and bass. Larry Crane, bells and vibes. Scott Collard, keys, Chad Wackerman, drums. Wackerman, Chad Wackerman. Sure, sure. So, yeah, this starts with music box esque arpeggios. I think there's a guitar and then there's probably some sort of synth. It just sounds like, or it's probably, I don't know, it might be um, tuned percussion actually, the, the vibes or something like that. Any, anyway, but there's, uh, yeah, it's a sort of seemingly sincere ballad with words about addiction, but then it, I don't know, it kind of comes across as a bit silly. Then it goes meatloaf-esque, kind of I wrote big. meatloaf too. Quit reading my notes. <laughs> then it goes into this dive bomb guitar solo without oh, yeah. much backing. None. And then this is the point where I got lost in the album and I didn't know, because I was listening to a YouTube um, upload, which was all just one lot of 41 minutes and reading the tracks from Wikipedia. I then don't know if it's still the same track or not. It but is. It then goes that into this track is seven and a half minutes. Right. I thought that. So I went back afterwards and kind of rejigged my notes because I realized I probably got it wrong. So then it goes into a Queen-esque anthemic bit with some spacey synths and effects. And there's some quite nice guitar solo bits. And I just kind of think, how did we get from the start? To <laughs> the, I think I have the answer to that question. Sure. Hear me out. This song is the day in the life of somebody hooked on the horse. Okay. Okay. So it starts off, you know, he's telling his story. He knows he shouldn't be doing it. And then he starts to feel that itch. Yeah. And then we get that huge, ridiculous solo, which is that itch. Yeah, going to find it, going to find the person selling, going to find William Holden, as it were. Mm -hmm. Then he gets it, he finds him, and he's about to explode. And he gets his package and he goes home, and then it's all smooth. Sure, sure, goes into that smooth jazz guitar solo. He's mm -hmm. in flavor country, he's got his fix, and that's the song. Yeah, and probably I, yeah. not the way it went, but that's what I took from it. No, I, I can see that entirely, and maybe that is what it's meant to be. Um, I just, you know, what I think everything after the first part where it's a ballad, I, I think he's actually fine. Um, I think it's the first ballad bit, which, as well as being a bit out of place with the latest stuff, but although you've just explained how that could make sense, 
again, I just can't quite like it somehow comes across as really silly. And you think, I don't think it's actually, I think it's meant to be sincere, but I, I think it is meant to be sincere, but it does come across very silly. When we both listened to this song and went, huh, that sounds like meatloaf. It, it sounded so much like meatloaf to me that I was beginning to consider Googling this guy, the, the singer, to see if it was like a meatloaf pen name. Yeah. It didn't, but I thought about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had to, ch- I, I, when he started singing, I did grab the record again to check the name because it was that much like meatloaf. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so it's a bit odd for me, but but you know, okay, okay. Some some cool guitar bits at the end when it goes a bit queenest, and you've got some nice guitar harmonies. I agreed, kind of like agreed. It's so then you've got two so, things. That, sorry, that song is so long. It, it it starts off really cool and goes around the bend and then comes back to cool. Yeah, yeah. Except I don't know if it started cool, but it got cool at the end. It started cool for me. Sure, sure. Then you've got these two tracks, which. So basically, from now on, the music doesn't let up. It's it's a segue right until the end. So at some point, you've got like a track for about twenty seconds called Bill's Private Parts. I do not know which bit of music is meant to be Bill's private part. It was the drum solo, right? Then you've got Next Stop Earth, and I don't know which bit that's meant to be. That's either. Steve Vigo and Twiddle Twiddle Twiddle. Right. So that's where I've put. Okay. Then you've got the last track, which is called There's Something Dead in Here. Um. I mean, what did you think of this one? Okay, before we do that, uh, there's it's Steve Vai, all guitars, synth, Lynn program, Lynn drum programming. I can sum this song up with the entirety of the notes I wrote for it. Sure. This is bad nonsense. Right, there you go. Now, the word nonsense is also the second word I've put. I've put <laughs> twiddle nonsense, what is this, ultra prog madness with no direction, avant-garde weirdness it's not even avant-garde i think calling it avant-garde gives it a level of credibility that this song does not deserve this song is a pile of it's it's guitar vomit it is it, i i nearly wrote it sounds like he's thrown his guitar down the stairs and recorded it um kind of does kind of does so there you go yeah it really or, is this or is he what was he... rolling down the stairs playing a solo yes this is what you play to people. Okay, if somebody wants to argue that prog rock is just ridiculous nonsense with no direction and no melody to hang on and all that sort of stuff that people might say about bands like Yes or ELP, this would be a great example of a track to, to, to play to back that argument up oh, because yeah. it is complete and utter nonsense. It just is. This uh, song, and I use the term loosely, is completely indefensible. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, he must have done this on purpose. So he he must, and I don't know whether he's thinking, you know what, I'm going to almost be a bit punk rock about this. Like, it is completely ridiculous, and I know it's completely ridiculous, but I'm I'm trying to challenge people, like, to almost um, find the find the serious uh, musicality in it when actually I know it's just complete and utter random nonsense. Maybe there's a part of him that's doing that, that's doing it on purpose to try and push people to appreciate it, if that makes sense. Because, God, I hope so. Yeah, it's either that or he's trying to actually be like, oh, this is so super sophisticated that 
you know, yeah, you think you can't find a melody in there, but actually it's because the melody is so complex that you just haven't understood it yet. Now, eh, either way, it kind of makes no difference. It's still nonsense. Complete nonsense. Absolute, <laughs> absolute, utter nonsense. It, it's the kind of music that would be played on an 80s sitcom to show how heavy metal was just noise. Yeah. And I know I've it used does, that term before and I'm going to keep using it because it's great. Yeah, no, I'm fine with that. And it does end, though, with some nice warm ambient chords. And I, I actually thought those warm ambient chords were one of the best bits on the records. I had so, checked out way before that point. Sure, sure. It only It's only about 10, 20 seconds at the end and it's very quiet as the whole thing's kind of fading out. But I thought, oh, that's actually quite nice. So... There we are. I get the impression that I didn't like this as much as you thought I might like it. Uh, no, um, I thought you might have enjoyed it a little rather okay. than because if we did, had done Passion and Warfare, all your notes would have been two words or your, all, here's your notes for every song would have been too much twiddly, twiddly, whittly guitar. That's all <laughs> you would have said. You would have found nothing enjoyable there. And I get that. This sure. one, it's, you know, moving into the sum up now. For me, this one is an odder record that, excuse me, it doesn't work on any level for any kind of listener. It's got some moments that are worth hearing, but overall, it's a bad record. Yeah, I, I've got to agree, Nick. I think, I, I think it's interesting for a variety of reasons, and I know we sometimes use that word too often. Um, it's an oddity. <sighs> Yes, it's a musical it, oddity. This is the kind of thing that if it were at a freak show, you'd pay twenty five. You'd pay twenty five cents to go look at it. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's clearly, and, and this really sums up the whole thing of Vi for me. And I, I know it's unfair to sort of judge Vi based on this album because I know this isn't representative. But for me, this this is the way that you feel after listening to this is kind of the way I feel generally listening to all Steve Vi. It's like wow he's so gifted he he can he can do it all he can not only play but he can construct um parts he can orchestrate he can do melodies harmonies he can borrow from different styles and mix them together all of this stuff but yet it it's absolutely terrible basically <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it, it's it's like how can you be so good <laughs> <laughs> I was going to I was going to try and be more articulate. <laughs> oh dear. So um, oh it's <laughs> for me this one is you know you say all those things that you said you know instead of saying it's terrible my question would be what was the point of that? Yeah. yeah. And for this album it, there, there is no point. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. There's no direction. There's no cohesion. Um, there's no consistency. Um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of great musicianship, but there's a lot of great musicianship that's completely pointless. Yeah, it's like art. I think that's the thing for me. If I'm going to be a little bit more um, serious for a second, then. For me, music is art, and I'm sure everyone would agree music is, is an art form. And um, 
for it, art's not just about how you physically put something together. You know, if, if you go and look at a Van Gogh painting or whatever it is, then it's not about, oh, did you know that he used five million brush strokes and it was really hard because he had to do this standing on his head. It's not about that. It's about getting an emotional experience uh, from that work of art, which makes you feel something and which kind of somehow enriches your life as a human being and maybe, maybe communicates something to you um, beyond just these are some brush strokes on a canvas. Um, now, and that's the point this doesn't communicate anything to me other than these guys can play their instruments well and they they know how to technically construct stuff there's there's no kind of meaning to it it doesn't really make me feel a um a, a feeling or, or or a vibe or it does it doesn't um it doesn't enrich my life experience in any way. There, really. There's a little of that for me. Sure. But not much. I you know, I do get that kind of feeling from Passion Warfare, Story of Light, the, you know, his later stuff. Well, I, mean, I guess it's all later from this, but this album, yeah, for me, what art is. My in, in art, the definition of art is a very subjective thing. So totally. For the listeners to get to know me as a human being and, and my outlook, art is an emotional expression of some sort. Yeah, that's my that's my definition. I, for the most part, that's not here. So it's 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 like this is like a demo reel for somebody trying to get a job. And if we're you know we're gonna say spin it or bin it for me, totally bin it. Don't even bother. Yeah, I've got to say, Binnett, because if you're into the, if this was the only thing Steve Vai had ever done, I'd say, you know what, just check out this guy. He, he can play guitar. If you're into guitars, if you're, you know, into tech, technical guitar stuff, check it out. But you know what, check out any of his other stuff, because it's going to be probably even more technical, uh, technically amazing than this. And the music at least makes more sense, even if I don't always like the later music at least you're going to understand what he's going for completely uh, accurate in my opinion and that uh, i guess unless you have anything else that takes care of this week's trip into the department yeah indeed been this one i'm afraid but uh but in the meantime in the meantime we're gonna play a single by alpha buddhist who you should not bin these are some french canadian guys that make some pretty cool avant-garde music so space we... disco synth metal i believe I, I interviewed um etienne from the band quite a few months ago and uh yeah it I, my, my my line about it which he said he was going to use was it shouldn't work but somehow it does so which is go. completely the opposite of this this album it shouldn't <laughs> work and it doesn't and in the meantime thank you for listening check out uh check out jump to alpha buddhist have a great week everybody Thanks for listening. Bye.